Welcome, everyone. This episode is on Amazon's retail business. We've been exploring or trying to understand the unit economics of Amazon's business for the last few years. Given the consolidated numbers don't tell you too much. This episode explores how we've been approaching our primary research and some of the learnings we've we've had over the last 12 to 18 months. We've also published some recent work on our new enterprise tier that walks through line by line what we think are the potential gross contribution and EBIT margins of Amazon's retail business over the last seven, eight years. Please enjoy it. And as always, let us know what you think. And as always, please do your own research. Nothing here is investment advice. Is e-commerce a crappy business? It's pretty hard to ship $10 parcels for free, man. How has how, how you look at that business changed over time? So you've been, you've been doing, for context, you've been doing a ton of work on, on Amazon. You've looked at this business since I've known you um, for, for years. I don't know, better part of whatever, seven, six, seven, eight, nine years, right? Um, what, how's, how do you think about the retail business today? So I still think it's uh, much better than legacy brick and mortar retail mainly just because of the mainly because of the structure of the call it the foundations of the business right and, and obviously it's changed a lot but if you go back in early days of amazon or just e-commerce in general if you think about the 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 structure or the infrastructure of a business walmart or any of these bigger brick and mortar retailers you know the assets they have manufacturers or the brands that they're, that they're selling they ship their product to the to the distribution center it then sits in the dc until you then ship it out to the expensive retail stores right on high streets and there's obviously a lot of complexity around which products go in which stores you know our merchandise in question the replenishment cycles of those products how you get it so the stocks the shelves are always stocked uh to, to keep turning those skews Uh, And then you obviously need to staff the high street stores with nice, happy employees that are going to make you feel great when you're spending money there. So it is obviously a complex business. You know, there is a, there is a very wide range of experiences you can have at the same retail retailer because every store is different. Every store has different products. Every store has different people inside of them. Some can piss you off, some can be rude, some can be really nice, you know. So like actually managing that in experience is really difficult. And you know, but obviously you go to the store and you spend your time and take your car and you dip and you, and you go and you go and shop in the store. That's that's the obviously the, the the other side of that. But broadly, if you compare that to Amazon or historically to Amazon in, in terms of the the call it the, the the foundations of the business or e-commerce. Again, the OEMs or the third-party merchants, they ship their products to the fulfillment centers, or I'll call it distribution center. These are much bigger typically than the, the legacy players, so they can stock more stuff there. And then instead of shipping it to expensive fixed assets or in, in, in you know, leased or owned assets in retail stores, they ship it to the end customer. Right? So they, they, they fundamentally miss, miss out a big expensive part of that whole business and also, 
arguably uh, a more complex part to manage in terms of the human side, in terms of the uh, experience of, of visiting a store versus buying online, i.e. Amazon has to manage one website in every country, right? It's one UI, it's a fixed expense. They have they can stock many more products there, you know, than Walmart has to manage across the US in every single store. So, you know, so so, so that means you know, in my, in my mind, it's a it's it's more it's arguably a more robust you know apples to apples, and nothing is you know always equal, but it is a more robust structure that lends itself to more scale benefits, right? In, in terms of the, the, the foundations of the business. And then you have obviously the benefits of like, you can offer, you know, an endless shelf, obviously. And, you know, there's obviously auction dynamics you can, you can add in, which Amazon done, you know, one fixed expense in your website, obviously the, and then, and then you can kind of, I guess, sweat your assets more, right? You have lower fixed assets relative to a brick and mortar retailer, especially the incremental fixed assets, and you can put higher, or you you sell more products through those those assets, i.e., higher returns, which leads to higher returns on invested capital, right? Then you obviously, you know, when you lay on the third party, i.e., the marketplace business, it makes it even more attractive. So this obviously, there's no doubt that it generates higher returns historically, right? The original Amazon, you can go back and you can see the. The cash flow it generated, the free cash flow that financed the whole business, the, the underlying returns. And to be honest, even five years ago, you can see the returns in North America. You know, EBIT, they were, you know, on EBIT, they were there in 4%. You know, and there was a bunch of other stuff in potentially in that line that is not strictly e-commerce retail. So, you know, it, there's no doubt it earns money. And what Amazon have done historically, going back to the last 20 years, is where they were able to offer an endless aisle, sweat their assets more, sell more products through the same, you know, dollar of assets, drive a higher return. Clearly, Bezos learned from Costco or you know these other businesses where they they don't sit on their laurels and 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 and, and kind of you know use that return and fly off into the sunset is they give it back to customers right and they and they've continuously passed that back on in the form of quicker shipping cheaper shipping cheaper everything um better 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 service and better better price for customers which basically is entrenched their moat in in e-commerce in 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 the core countries they operate in um so I, I think fundamentally, historically, in my mind, this is a better business because it lends itself more to scale and it lends itself more to a um, you know a business that can fundamentally grow not only skews but also with it as e-commerce penetration grows, right? So you have this very, very scalable asset which has an entrenched moat which then could pretty much grow its product line and also grow its um, grow its grow its kind of market size with with e-commerce growing the tailwind of the, of the internet. And that's that's kind of been the the twenty year story. Now, where it's questionable today is because it's got much more complicated 
Whereas, look, basically, how much do you want to share with the customer, right? So that's, you know, the start off, it all sounds great. You're sharing this, free shipping, cool. You know, that's the, now you've got to like same day and you've got, you know, a bunch of, you know, they run an airline, or not airline, they own aircraft that they ship the middle mile for. They do, they're basically owning their own trucks now. And it's, you know, it's, it's become, it's, it's gone from being eBay plus, you know, owning a bit of delivery to now running the whole, you know, running the whole end to end and, and also just building out too much stuff. So that's what's also muddy the waters in my mind well, for investors where it's people are really questioning the how profitable this this really is if if you are going to you know push same day delivery for all these parcels when the economics don't work because you want to maximize that lifetime value in the long run and that that's where that's where that's why the stock trades where it does if you were trying to build the rails of e-commerce like, let's talk a little bit about this framing that you've been writing about and, and how to think about w- what this business is actually trying to achieve. Because certainly the view that you've outlined, you know, you can ask questions as to, you know, how, how profitable ultimately the, the business is going to be. And is, is, you know, the, I guess the question is, is it, is it anywhere near what people thought? Is it actually as attractive as people thought? And I guess that that's really a function of, as you've outlined, how do you actually frame what the business is doing and, and what Jassy today's priorities are? Jassy knows how to build a marketplace, right? He's done it before. And now, he doesn't know how to build a retail marketplace, which is obviously very different. But my sense is that he, and we've seen that already with Barbie Prime and these other new initiatives, whether they work or not is, is a different matter, but his task and his in his mind he is he wants to make this more of a third party marketplace i and provide the infrastructure for others to run on top and sell products just like aws does in terms of cloud computing now i don't know if this is going to actually work right in my i think it has got a good chance in you know being the infrastructure for a lot of e-commerce i mean e-commerce is 20 percent of probably addressable retail today in the u.s I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that's going to be larger going forward in the next 10 years, 20 years. No doubt. Right? And so they might have less, like, too much capacity today, but in the long run, they're going to, they're going to fill that up in, 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 in no time. And, and the question is, okay, how, 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 in what way will merchants and customers want to transact online in general merchandise? And, and, and Amazon, for me, Amazon can provide, I think this is what Jesse will do. Like historically, it's been first party or third party only, right? Either you buy, Amazon is a, is a first party merchant, i.e. they take, they buy a product wholesale and sell it. Or they are a third party marketplace and they do run the logistics as well, if, if you want. Over time, I think what Jesse tried to do with Barry Prime is a good example is they're, they're just trying to say, well, even if just, even if you sell on your own website, We'll run the we'll run it for you, just like you know UPS or FedEx would do on the back end, uh, you know, with the warehouse and uh, attached as well. And so the question is like, how how good are Amazon, and what is the cost? What is the unit cost of of shipping a parcel? And is it just 
is it attractive for third-party merchants to either go via FBA or or even when they're shipping themselves, do they want to get into the, the, the complications of managing a, a free PL relationship and shipping product? So that that's the kind of that, that's that's what I think Jassy is doing. Now whether 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 third party merchants, i.e. and whether, more importantly, bigger retailers even want to deal with Amazon. That's the question. Like, would Nike or you know, all these big would they ever use Amazon to ship on the back end? I don't know. Probably not is my base case. I'm pretty skeptical, but actually, I don't know. I don't know. So that, that that's the if Jassy can increase the third party mix, and not even not it doesn't have to be sold on Amazon.com. It just has to utilize the fixed assets. Right? They own, call it the the rails or at least infrastructure of 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 of, of running parcels across the U.S. and across the big countries they work in. Now, can they? Can they really be? Can they kind of displace the the disparate links that that already exist in the market, i.e., FedEx, UPS, and then Middle Mile, and then you know the the actual retailer? I don't know. I know they don't have to, but it's a lot. Of, you know, to, to they don't have to maximize that. I think it's. There's a lot of other cost in their in their income statement that is that is not strictly retail that we can go into in a sec, but I think that's the strategy of Jesse. Yeah, and I mean while we're on this, you, you know, you spent you spent quite a bit of time looking at at the operations of the retail business on the logistics side. And and so while we're on or around that area now, what have you learned from speaking to veteran logistics operators about the nature of Amazon's network and and how it's competing with businesses like FedEx and UPS, how it's set up versus these companies? Well, we're, we're going to release some stuff on this in detail that goes through step by step on how Amazon's supply chain works or logistics works versus others. And it is very complicated, you know, based on area of the country, or certain countries, area of the US, you know, what parcel it is. Like, it, there's no one way. Yeah, no, I think like the, with the qualifier of, yeah, speaking of the North American business. Right? But even in North America, there's no one way, right? But, but very, very simply what happens is they, I mean, they, they do what we said earlier, right? The, the merchants ship it into the FC. You know, they have a bit of another stage for they have a sorting center back into the FC. Then the FC goes out, product goes from the fulfillment center, Um would typically then be transported by one of these middle mile players like uh, LTL players and go to, you know, another sorting hub, which either goes via air or goes via a truck uh, to a delivery station, right? And the delivery station is kind of call it the last node closest to the customer, which then is shipped out by a last mile provider, which either is Amazon's own network Right, they have their own vans, and they also hire contractors to fill, fill the gaps, or they go via UPS or via USPS, so the United States Postal System or UPS, based on like geography and area and stuff like that. But yeah, we, we've released numbers on what what we estimate each of the kind of segment, or, you know, how much of Amazon shipped their last, 
how much of the last mile they ship, for example. But overall, you know, there was a big difference in the unit cost of shipping last mile that we explained in our piece of Amazon versus other players. And that's just from the density and the, the structure of the network that enables that, which seems to me it's pretty hard to, you know, this is a moment that's pretty hard to turn turn around tomorrow. Yeah, that you, you laid out that there are the structural advantages embedded in Amazon's network design. Well, and, and, but like, it's not it's not too complicated, right? If you're going to build something from scratch, FedEx was built 100, you know, the foundations of it was built decades ago. FedEx is 120 years old or something. I mean, if you're building something today, like if you can't build it that has an advantage, like you've got a problem. <laughs> you're either an idiot or like you don't understand the business because it just wouldn't, there's no way in a million years that you can't build something that doesn't have an advantage. Like, like fundamentally from, from the ground up when you've got Amazon scale to start with. So, and it's very nuanced. I, and I think this is a case of there's not one, there's not one thing that is like, this is it, you know, like this is the one competitive advantage that Amazon has. Like, I think it's one of the, it's, it, for me, this is why I think Amazon's so interesting and why we've done a bunch of work across the whole ecosystem. I think it's, I think it's one, it's many small nuanced points or differences that roll up into one competitive advantage. And actually, the more I think about it, like the more, my personal view on this is like, I'd rather a company that has many little subtle, nuanced, incremental differences or marginal differences that maybe are, that roll up into one competitive advantage than like one thing, you know? I'd rather, I'd rather like that learning experience or uniqueness or whatever, you know, a hundred of those little points rather than like one big pattern or one big trademark or one big, you know, product as an advantage because it's just, it's, it seems to me potentially much more durable or harder to compete with. And I think that's the case of Amazon. Everything from how their, their fulfillment centers are set up, the, the technology, you know, they, they bought Kiva, they bought Sparrow, like they're going to cut out and keep cutting out a bunch of costs from sorting and picking and packing the way they, the way they ship their products to delivery stations, you know, the, the, the inflow, it sounds stupid, but like the way they receive products, the way they sort products in the delivery station. You know, and I think the piece that we wrote about single di- these, uh, dispatch is, you know, it might seem obvious when you look back, but actually like the, the legacy players have one dispatch a day for the express business, typically for FedEx. That means that for literally an hour a day, typically in the morning, all the delivery drivers back up their vans to the station, pick up the truck, pick up the parcels, and then go out on their route and, 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 and deliver it. And then you have the whole, all of the station employees, and they then receive trucks of parcels to prepare for the next day. You know, So let's say you can ship out 100 at a time, you know, 10 vans and 10 parcels, and you ship out those all in the morning. We were doing 100 parcels in a whole day because you have to wait for the next you have to wait for all the parcels to come to then, you know, to then sort them out for the next morning. Whereas what Amazon does is Amazon designed it so you have multi-dispatch, so you can you can send a hundred out in the morning, a hundred out at midday, and a hundred out in late afternoon. So you're basically set like I'm just using rough numbers, but for example, you you're basically getting three hundred parcels through the same fixed asset. Amazon already shipped more parcels in the US than FedEx per day. And what's, and that's obvious, that, that might be obvious, but what is even more interesting is they, it's a fraction of the number of delivery stations that FedEx has. So, for example, by my numbers, I have 
650-odd, 600-odd delivery stations in the U.S., small and large, by Amazon. FedEx have over 2,000. Right, so it's over, it's under a third. So they're shipping more products through fewer stations, and they and they're doing more volume. Right, it's just it's just a better it's just a better foundation to serve and do this business. Now, that doesn't mean they haven't got worse, uh, too much capacity. It doesn't mean they've overbuilt. It doesn't mean that they've you know they're they're, they're offering same day when they shouldn't offer, you know, that, that doesn't take away all those things, but fundamentally, like from a first principles basis, like I don't see how they haven't got a st- real structural advantage in, in just fundamentally serving e-commerce demand over the next 15, 20 years, right? Which to me, that, that matters more than whether they've got a bit more capacity in the next couple of years. Right. And so, and that seems to be, part of a a building block of a view that you outlined really a kind of question that you asked in the analysis that we published on on the economics of the retail business that question being you know has has the earnings power of the retail business actually really improved over the last few years if you look at so i'm going to publish this over the next few weeks but you can see exactly that. I mean, you can see an incremental improvement this last quarter, year on year, massively. And if you if you if you if you net out the the impairments and the the one offs, I mean, they're already they're already making improvements. Like, and that's that's the other thing. If you look at the structure of the PNL, and, and I'll write this up clearer when we do we publish up some more work on Amazon. But it's there is a lot of other shit in that in this in, in this PNL, right? This is not just this is not eBay when you have a clean. P- you know, this is not a. This is not just a retail PNL. There's a ton of other stuff in here, and so when you look at when you look at the margins or the EBIT margins of, of North America, obviously that includes a bunch of other stuff. And when and when you include, if you even just look at the, yeah, the if you look at the you can you can net out the gross and contribution margin of retail. But when you go down to the tech and content line and the you know GNA line, you know, firstly it's grouped together in the consolidated numbers, both AWS and non-AWS. But even if you even if you make some estimations, because you've got the EBIT margin of you've got the EBIT margin of AWS, you can net out what the OPEX of retail is. But then within that, you've got, I mean, they're spending on a bunch of stuff. They're doing satellites, they're doing, you know, doing loads of stuff. It's just that's not retail, right? So, so, so the so that so there's a question of a capacity. There's a question of a shipping costs. I.e., for example, they've got how much can they grow into their fulfillment network? That's going to reduce the that's going to re- reduce the fulfillment costs per unit. How do you how do you improve the shipping cost per unit? Now, that's based on how Jeff and Jassy think about same day versus two day and how aggressive they want to be on on pushing that and and then you've got the whole opex line which is tech and content gna a bunch of other stuff which who knows what's in there that is not retail you can make some estimates and you know we've spoke to some executives that give us some estimates but you know all we know is that it's a chunk so after you after you if you if you assume e-commerce grows if you assume amazon have a structural advantage again there's a lot of assumptions here right but 
And if you assume they grow into their network, so those ship that the, the fulfillment and the shipping costs start, start to decrease, right? The gross and contribution margins are going to increase. And if you assume, if you were to net out a portion of the OPEX lines, like you've got a pretty large and profitable business with a, with a, with a, with a real advantage, in, at least in the US and probably UK, Germany, and Japan, at least. And then the other questions around shipping specifically, which is a bit more trickier, but you know, how this goes back to the Costco, you know, and the, the kind of shared economies of scale framework, right? But you know, how much do you really need to share? I.e., like, do you need everything being the same day? Like, no, obviously you don't. And frankly, do you need everything to be two day? No, but I think two day getting to two days probably a uh, probably a pretty interesting spot across the US. So I think they've got a lot of room to tweak that shipping line and, and be more, you know, if you want to ship something same day from and the products in San Francisco to New York, then like, I mean, you've got to pay a bit of a premium, right? I mean, that's just pretty standard. So if Amazon can get to that point and, you know, who knows how much that shipping line can, can improve. But right now it's, it's you know, it's, got, it's, it's, it's out of control, right? That shipping, that shipping line is, is, is gone from, you know, being sub 10% of of GMV to being 13% of GMV last year. Or even if you go on sales, it's obviously even higher. But on GMV, it's gone from 8% 2016-17 to be you know, 7, 14%. It's a lot. And fulfillment cost has also exploded from 14, 15, well, from 10% to 12%. How is speaking to operators shaped your understanding of these questions over the last couple of months i try and focus more on like those longer term things around the structure and the foundations of the company I'm not too concerned really on if they've built too much i mean it's pretty clear they've built too much square footage right i think every e-commerce company went made that mistake i am bothered in terms of how aggressive jesse is going to be in, in in normalizing that or you know cutting that space but i don't think that matters too much in what the earning power is in 2030, frankly. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm biased though because I think retail's probably, well, I don't know the AWS business as well, but I, I do think that it's, I feel more confident underwriting the earning power of, it, of retail than AWS in 2030. Can you say a little about what we intend to publish on over the next few weeks and months as we try to complete the picture on this business? holistically, which in itself is quite complex given how many things Amazon's involved in. Yeah, well, we're going to do some work on Amazon advertising, which I think is a piece we haven't discussed, but we can maybe discuss a different time. Um, but yeah, we'll be publishing a proper review or some uh, some research on Amazon advertising, the retail business, and more details on that logistical piece and just why or what we think matters versus incumbents um, just to get that kind of 10 year, 20 year potential advantage that, you know, FedEx can't turn their business around and I mean, frankly, they're, they're, they're trying and they, they, they can't even, they can't even move to sit to, to multi-dispatch in the express business. So it's just, it's just too difficult. So yeah, we'll be publishing that. And then, 
Yeah, a bunch of other stuff on, on we'll share uh, some of the numbers from our work and what we think potentially Amazon can get to and we'll cut out the cost and our estimates from our discussions with uh, some former Amazon guys on, on how much or what they think is a normalized return in, in, in pure e-commerce. But again, this is all, you know, real rough back of the envelope math because it is purposely, I think, you know, it's very, very complex and almost impossible to to see what what the real return is for e-commerce. So you spent, I mean, it's coming up to now almost six months, five, six months intensively researching this business. You've conducted more than 10, around 10 interviews with operators closer to 20, what would you say about the quality of this underlying business? What really strikes you? Has your view changed at all? It's one of the most unique businesses I think that has ever existed. And yeah, I, I think Bezos could potentially go down as one of the best business minds. I mean, name me one of a business that does, that sells cloud computing and sells parcels <laughs> or like even something so dramatically different than that. That's all built internally and not being acquired. You know, it's 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 very very different than any other. If you go through the S and P five hundred, like there's just no. It's very uh, you know Microsoft. The core of Microsoft is still you know it was was the OS and, and Windows and, and and the software they built, and that's been obviously. I mean, which that tells you something, right? It's probably one of the best franchises ever 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 ever, ever created, right? terms of the free cash that's generated but that that's built the foundation of microsoft that's evolved from there this company is taking all the free cash from retail and built a cloud computing business right like how, like how and you think about business like how how on earth does someone go and take cash and build something so completely which and this is the point like it seems completely different but maybe you know it's not in their eyes because that's what these guys are are innovators right that's what they do so i think that's the that's the big big difference here is you're not dealing with something and also by the way part of and, and i can actually understand why people get put off by amazon because that's so embedded in their culture that even if let's say retail generates 100 billion in, in free cash flow in 2030 or whatever 2026 or seven you're not going to get that in your pocket you know you're a minority investor you're not going to see that because Jeff, Jeff might, and this is part of also the risk, right? Jeff and Jassy might go on, you know, blow it on whatever. Or they might go and create another AWS. Or they might have actually, which we can discuss in a few weeks, right? Have this built, you know, planted the seeds of a hundred billion dollar advertising business. Right? But 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 this and this is the this is the point that makes this company so unique. This is not a, you know, this is it's just it's 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 the most unique culture um, that I've ever seen, but also the combination of, of pure innovation and also capital allocation. I, I you could say they lost their way in the last few years, but that'd be probably a bit too harsh given given COVID and stuff. But in terms of what they've built and the amount of the amount of the amount of capital employed, right? The amount of share, the amount of equity capital employed, and what they've built in in terms of the disparate assets they've got is unparalleled in my mind. And 
yeah, I mean, I, I, sometimes I just, it's almost, and who knows what they're going to do, you know? I, I mean, that, they have that other line, the other segment in their accounts, right? And that's been growing. And it's, you know, obviously it's the bought MGM and stuff, but, you know, who knows what they're going to do? And that's the question. It's like maybe if you get, if you if you turn around or if Jesse and Jeff turn around and say, actually, do you know what? We're not going to invest anymore. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, give dividend out your cash or buy back the stock or whatever. Maybe that's day two, and they, you know, they're not really living by 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 that that philosophy. And then you you see them, you hear Jeff and you hear Jasin. They say they want this business to live, they want that this culture and this business to live forever. Obviously, that's very difficult and defies base rates. But just like Buffett has built you know, a diversified, robust collection of assets that reflect effectively U.S. GDP, right? Jeff has created a culture that is going to innovate. It's way through GDP and, and it's two different cultures of how to approach that that basically basically builds a, the, a very very durable asset <laughs> now with the huge caveat that a crappy leader could blow this right because you rely a lot on capital like like, like you rely on Buffett to buy good stuff and buy like you rely on Jesse and probably even more so maybe with Amazon because they're also creating stuff. They don't. They're not. They're not necessarily. I mean, they do make acquisitions. Not. They're not buying their way to these businesses, right? But it's 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 fascinating. It's it's very. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but I I do think that they've got an interesting business here, and especially anything under, you know, a trillion or what's it, nine hundred a billion now valuation. I think is. It's far too low for what this business can earn in 10 years' time. <laughs>